Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Pedro Correa de Sampaio is the CEO of Neobe Therapeutics, a company engineering biologics to overcome immunologically cold tumors. Pedro talked to us about his work, as well as working in one of the world's leading cancer centers, why you shouldn't start fundraising too early, and not being afraid of sharing your ideas with the world. This week on Careers in Discovery, I'm joined by Pedro Correa de Sampaio from Neob Therapeutics. Pedro, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to, to be here. Really good to see you. Um, and I'm excited to start off by learning a little bit more about Neob. The, the idea of live biotherapeutics I find fascinating. So tell me a bit about what you're up to and the work that you're doing there. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's a really exciting space, and it's a it's a space that I that I <clears throat> fell into almost um, almost almost by accident. Mm. Not, not not entirely by accident, but but as sort of a means to an end. Um, my background is in cancer biology, and and my research interest as an academic, first on my PhD and then on my postdoc, was always the study of the microenvironment of solid tumors. So basically, mm-hmm. everything that makes up a solid tumor beyond cancer cells, all of like the, the scaffolding, all of the other types of cells that you have in there that that contribute to the way that tumors progress, to the way they yes. respond to therapies, etc. Uh, which I felt always was a very attractive uh, therapeutic target. And particularly in the uh, age of immunotherapies, as we've got all of these exciting new therapeutic strategies to harness your own immune system to combat tumors, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it sort of became clear that in solid tumors particularly, uh, the microenvironment can create um, barriers to the success of these therapies. Yeah, I see. And in a subset of patients, because um, it, it, in, in a subset of patients, it, it actually creates physical barriers to the infiltration of, of immune cells. Mm-hmm. The composition of the tumor, it can make it so dense, so sort of heavily fibrotic, that immune cells struggle to get in. And in these patients, it really doesn't matter, you know, the, the the drugs that you develop to activate an immune response if the immune system can physically get into the tumor, these drugs are not going to work. Right. Um, so we, we, we tried to, and this was a, a problem that I was already aware of, and I uh, came across this company called Deep Science Ventures that mm-hmm. was, was trying to develop new ventures in the space. Um, and we kind of, you know, put our minds together. I ended up sort of jumping on board and taking on this challenge with them and started thinking about what would be a good way to remove these barriers so that we can increase the number of immune cells that get into these tumors yes. so we can make these patients respond to immunotherapies. And it was in the process of thinking of what would be an effective way to do this that we came up with the idea of using live biotherapeutics mm. or bacteria, really, yes. um, that we could engineer as sort of little microscopic Trojan horses that can get into these tumors and take down these barriers from within and open the floodgates for the immune for the immune system to come in and for these patients to start responding to drugs that are already in the market to activate an anti-cancer immune reaction. Yeah, I see. Okay. And so so um, bacteria particularly were interesting because they're already existent and they're already crossing those barriers and doing doing that naturally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it was a combination of, of that. That aspect made it very attractive to me. And that part of it I found fascinating because it, it mm. was an area that I wasn't particularly familiar with. The amount of work that, that exists showing how strains of bacteria just have this innate capacity of, of going into these tumors, just yes. really like sort of colonizing these these areas and that's something that we can harness yeah. so if we take a strain that that has you know a natural capability of of sort of taking over the the tumor microenvironment and colonizing it we then you know through the you know growth of of synthetic biology as an area we can engineer these bacteria uh, into uh, our own sort of drones and yeah. we can engineer them to once they sort of establish themselves within the tumor to respond to the physiological conditions that you have there and then basically you have a really exciting therapeutic strategy where you're remodeling the microenvironment of the tumor as a response to the microenvironment of the tumor mm-hmm. um, which which is really great and that's what attracted me to the bacteria is the fact that it's this living organism that you can engineer to be responsive to the conditions that you have in the tumor and through those conditions start expressing a payload that can then remodel the physical properties of these tumors and kind of create this feedback loop that makes tumors permissive and that yeah, interesting. Uh, just enables immune infiltration. No, it's very interesting. And, and I was surprised when I was um, looking at the website, I was surprised that the the sort of statistics around how many people are unresponsive to these treatments and and what percentage of patients are because it's it's pretty significant right it's huge yeah it, and the the most significant part of it i think is that it's a number that hasn't really significantly changed okay. since uh, this this area started <clears throat> it's and this is in no way kind of like you know immunotherapies i think have, have changed the lives of, of a lot of patients mm-hmm. you know there's it's, you know it's it's the most exciting thing that's happened in in uh, in oncology and in, in clinical oncology in 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 a really long time the patients that respond to them have really quite striking responses but they're still a minority there's still issues associated yes. with it and um it's it's a small minority it's about 15 to 20 percent of patients that respond mm. to it so we still have this huge population of, of cancer patients in the world that can't see those incredible benefits that you can get from immunotherapy and that that was really the problem that we wanted to solve yes is what is it about these tumors what is it about these patients that make immunotherapies unsuccessful and what yeah. can we do to enable their success yeah and and clearly it's a it's a complex question but essentially where you're focusing is on a delivery issue really on how do you actually get this across to the place it needs to be yeah but but the but the immune cells specifically yes uh, because uh, because you know we the most there's a lot that's happening in the immunotherapy field right there's you know our t-cells there's uh, you know uh, modified t-cells etc um but kind of the the initial mvp was was the checkpoint inhibitor where these mm-hmm. antibodies that kind of remove the breaks from the immune system so that immune cells can can eliminate cancer cells these sort of breaks that the immune system has to stop them from uh, killing cancer cells because you know they're recognized as self yes and 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 these and these antibodies um when they work, the responses are are striking. Um, but 
for them to work by definition, if you're activating these cells, these cells, the immune cells, the T cells to kill cancer cells need to be in direct contact with them. Right. So if they can't go in, it, it doesn't matter, right? You can you can activate them all you want. You can remove the brakes all you want. If they can't get to their side of action, yes. that's not going to be sufficient. So the drugs are already there and we know that they can work. So how do we get more immune cells to be mm-hmm. in the site where they need to be to, to make it to work? Yeah. And that that was the that that was the that was the point is um, yes immune infiltration. That makes sense. And, and so that was about a year and a half ago that you you took that leap into into sort of a formal company and building it and and being the CEO and uh, and going on that journey. So I, I imagine that over that year and a half, what you do with your time has changed quite a bit <laughs> as oh, things cool. have progressed. But but tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about. I'm asking you to condense quite a period of time into into a small period here, but tell us about what it's been like since, the, how your role has changed since the start, I suppose, and what you're spending most of your time on today mm-hmm. and what that journey's been like so far. Yeah, it feels, it's odd because it feels like you, you sort of need to take a step back and think of mm. where you were 18 months ago and where you are now and how much yeah. things has, have changed already. Because before this, I was, I was a postdoc, right? So I sure, was, yeah a scientist that was in the lab all the time. I was, you know, fairly seasoned postdoc by that point. So there's, so there were, you know, added responsibilities that came with the time being in the lab, like, you know, mentoring other people, mm-hmm. um, writing funding applications, things like that. Um, but uh, it, it was quite sort of a dramatic shift, particularly because I started doing this in the middle of, of the COVID pandemic. Of, of course. Yeah. Basically, um, basically, you know, creating this entire new project from behind my laptop at at home, right? And and that was that was that's the main shift I think between what I was doing in the beginning and what I'm doing now. In the beginning, there was a lot of preparation, there was a lot of strategy, there was a lot mm. of you know, writing our business plan, doing um, you know, patent searches to look at you know freedom of operation and, and making sure that we could operate in the way that we wanted to. Yeah, uh, building sort of our extended team, getting the right collaboration in place, getting the right lab space, you know, making sure that we had all of the equipment that we need to get started. There was a lot of planning in, in the initial few months. Um, and then as, you know, the, the company uh, started kind of kind of taking off and the pandemic started slowing down, even mm-hmm. though it's not over yet, but it no. started slowing down. Um you know, there was a, I, I, I was sort of released into the world, right? Which was, <laughs> which was nice because we got to, I got to go to be in the lab a little bit more to interact with the rest of the team a little bit more. Uh, but the, the uh, work started being more and more focused on the fundraise because mm-hmm. as an early stage startup, that's, that's the main bottleneck, right? Is, yes. is having enough is having enough money to run the experiments that you need to run to get to the next point in your development plan, and particularly mm. in therapeutics, a lot of the experiments that we need to run are quite expensive, and we're looking at you know a very sort of long term return on, on investment. So, building our business proposition, writing grants, uh, you know, building our 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 deck and talking to investors, that's most of what I do right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know. Uh, yeah, trying, try, it's it's 
great uh, to be able to start doing that more and more in person, going to events, going to conference, mm-hmm. going to pitching events, uh, rather than just doing it from behind my laptop at home all the time. Uh, but it is it is mostly uh, that that I'm focusing yes. on at the moment. Yes, and I'm really interested in that transition that you made from from postdoc to to founder, because um, as you say, you know, there's there's obviously scientific threads that that pass through that in the work that you're doing, and and that domain knowledge I'm sure was very helpful. But it's a very different role, of course, and we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, Take us back to the start, though, Pedro. So you mentioned earlier that you did your you were trained as an oncologist and cancer biologist. Um, why why cancer? Why biology? Why science in the first place? What's the origins of oh, this right, for you? Right at the beginning, beginning. Right at the right. beginning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's science was always um, obviously kind of going to be my path. Uh, mm-hmm. Like from a very early age, from when I was a kid, and, and uh, you know, my parents tell tell me that I was sort of the typical kids that you know, I I had the chemistry sets and the biology right. sets, and I was really interested. I was really curious. I really wanted to know how things worked always, and it was just kind of very clear from the fairly early age that I was going to go um, in, into science, and I um, sort of that you know, had dabbled in a couple of different things, but I think mm. I very quickly kind of uh, centered myself into biology because I was just very, I mean, I, I used to uh, love, uh, love nature documentaries and, and, right. and animals. And I was just fascinated by the natural world and how, you know, how organisms work and how organisms interact. And then from that to, to cancer was just sort of, it felt like a natural step to me. Mm. Um, the moment when I realized that my interest in biology was more on the micro than the macro, I really wanted to understand how things work sort of on yeah. a cellular level. Then, you know, one of, one of the biggest problems that you can, that you can study at that point is cancer. Yes. And obviously like, everyone because you know one in two people uh, according to recent estimates will get cancer in our lifetime right so like everyone i had family members that that had cancer i had family members mm-hmm. that i lost to cancer um so so it was just something that i felt that i could not only understand a complex problem which as a scientist is what i wanted to do but also try to actually to actually have an impact. Yes. Um, and that last part was what, after years in academia, I, I realized that I was lacking. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, I, that I, and that's kind of jumping a few years ahead. That's what eventually made me want to uh, get into the, into, into the founder uh, entrepreneurship life was the fact that I've, I've been working a lot on the problem side of things, on, on understanding cancer, on understanding how all of these different components of, of a tumor interact with each other and how that influences um, how this disease occurs and spreads etc yes um but but i didn't feel like i was doing anything about it and i wanted to do something about it um and and hence the jump yeah and it's interesting isn't it i think certainly in the medical field it's difficult to think of anything that has had wider or more widespread more significant impact on as many people as cancer right um, if it's not directly, as you say, you know, it's, you're going to know someone who's been impacted by it and, and some more severely than others. Um, 
But of course, you, you did your postdoc in a place where I imagine it was a, a very good environment to understand cancer um, mm. at MD Anderson. Um, so tell us about that, because obviously one of the, you know, one of the leading cancer centers in the world. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, it was you, 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 you just felt like you were, um, you were in the center of everything. I, mm. I was fortunate enough to join the cancer biology department there just when it was co- going through a fairly significant overhaul. There were a lot of really exciting new scientists coming onto that to that department, including my my, my supervisor, my mentor, Raghu Galuri. So I, I got to learn from. Uh, from a lot of sort of really big names in this field. Yes. Um, plus, but I also got to kind of, because we are in the basically the biggest hospital, cancer hospital in the world, I got to kind of like interact with the clinical part a little bit as well, mm. um, which was, um, which, which was, which was exciting. And, you know, uh, our, our lab, our lab collaborated a lot with um because it was an area that we were obviously becoming interested in as well was was immuno-oncology yes. and md anderson because of jim allison uh being based there um who won the nobel prize for his uh, discoveries in checkpoint inhibitors a few years mm-hmm. back it, md anderson kind of became a bit of an epicenter for immuno-oncology research um they've actually you know just unveiled a new institute with his, with his name um so so it that made it a really exciting place to to work and a really exciting place to learn. Yes. Um, and that kind of opened my eyes to a lot of these issues that I ended up wanting to become more more involved with, because that was not necessarily where my academic career was headed, but that's mm-hmm. where I wanted to be. Um, but I wanted to be in that area in a very applied way. Yes. Yeah, I see. And And so that all those factors coming together, I, I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that that's why you, you stayed there for the period that you did, because, um, you know, seven years is a long time to be in one place for a postdoc, but I guess you kind of had everything you needed, right? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, hindsight is 2020 right so looking back now i feel like i probably uh, i probably should have left before before i did but it, it's very it's it's very when you're in a in an exciting research environment like that and you're working on big problems it's very uh, easy to become attracted by the whole like oh no but if i just stay for a little bit yeah. longer i can get that extra paper or i can work on that extra project you know and and I kind of just sort of let myself get sucked into that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, where I think, you know, if I'd if I'd actually paid attention to my uh, my my inside voice, right, and and thought about things uh, carefully, I I would have realized a few years before that this was the path that I wanted to follow, and I probably yes. should have jumped out a little bit earlier, I think, than I did, but but you know. The the last few years that I was at MD Anderson were probably some of the most um, some some of the times that I've learned the most right, okay. uh, in in my in my life, both research wise and in terms of just sort of like project management wise. Yes, and I think uh, you know because the longer you stay in a lab, the longer you sort of get involved with those aspects of it, mm-hmm. and that and those were really really essential um, skill sets 
uh, that I took with me to then start my own company. So there's pros and cons to everything. No, of course. Uh, and I was working on stuff that I and I was working on stuff that I was excited about. I just think that if I was being honest with myself, um, maybe a couple of years before uh, leaving, I, I probably would have realized like this is not this is not where I, where where I want to go. I want yeah. to go. I, I want to do something applied, and I probably should have made that decision a little bit earlier. But then again, who knows where I would where, where I would have been if I'd done that then? Because uh, I, I met DSC when I did, and that's kind of what triggered all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, it, these things always happen for a reason, right? And uh, yeah. But that transition is really interesting. I think you know you mentioned earlier that. A lot of your move to starting a company was was about impact and about about doing something applied about the problem of cancer and, and this problem that you'd encountered. So um, I imagine a lot of people are in a similar place. A lot of people we speak to who are making a move out of academia are doing it for that reason. Um, to you know, there's a lot of value in foundational research, right? And doing that foundational research is is very important to your understanding of the problem. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, um, but. People are driven by different things. And, and as you say, some people want to take that path into something more applied. Um, tell us about, I guess, coming to that realization, getting involved with deep science ventures. Tell us about that whole period of, of transition for you. I, I, I always feel a little, a little uh, sort of um, uh, deflated, like not deflated because it was very, it was a really exciting time for me, but I, I was just at the right place at the right time. And I, <laughs> I, I jumped at the, at the opportunity when it kind of presented itself to me, because, you know, when I decided that I wanted to do something more applied, I had my own ideas, but I didn't necessarily feel like I had this place, the space to explore them. So right. the obvious decision would be to to take my ideas to existing uh, to existing startups and mm. work with them, and you know eventually get to the point where I'll be able to like develop my own project. And I just happened to go to this conference where I met uh, Deep Science Ventures, and, and particularly where I met. Uh, Kirsten Papenfuss, who was who was uh, you know in charge of their pharma programs there, yeah. and it it we very sort of quickly <laughs> realized that we had a lot of the really same a lot of the same interests, and and we were right. interested in trying to solve the same the same problems, and particularly sort of this interaction of sort of different components of the microenvironment, and that and that and how that creates constraints to the success of immunotherapies was an area mm -hmm. that deep science ventures had just created a partnership to cancer research uk to develop ventures around okay. that space yeah. and they were looking for the right person to do that and we just happened to be thinking exactly down the right lines and i mm -hmm. thought well this this feels a bit like a like a unique opportunity um because where else are you going to be able to be supported to take your ideas uh, and develop your own your own venture yes uh, in the in the ther in the therapeutic space specifically that doesn't really exist in a lot of other places so i thought you know i was i was about to to start working with uh with a with a different startup which which i i did and it was also a great learning experience uh, for me and it, and i and i really enjoyed my time with them but then also the pandemic hit Mm. And I was, I suddenly found myself um, stuck back in my 
childhood room, childhood okay. room, sorry, in, in, in Lisbon. And I thought, you know, why not? I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, working remotely regardless. So yes. I can start working, I can start working or continue working on this uh, sort of other project that I was working on, but, you know, also see what the possibilities are in yeah. this potential of starting my own company. And the more I started working on it, the more I realized that one, it had legs to it. I was really enjoying it. Mm. And three, I could actually see it uh, being successful. And and then I just sort of eventually completely immersed myself in it. Yeah. It's uh, that idea of space, I think is important. Uh, you mentioned that just now, because I think that is, there's so much that goes into starting a company right and and so much that you need to think about that you know when people are working full-time on something else it can be difficult for them to to process that think that through not just factually financially business plan wise but also emotionally and in terms of their own their own sort of confidence yeah. to do it um so it, like you say yeah. the pandemic creates a unique place to do that for some people I think. it, it was uh, it, it was very much, uh, and I can say this enough, uh, being at the right place at the right time. And obviously then, you know, seeing the opportunity and, and grabbing yes. onto it. Yeah. But, you know, I was already at a space psychologically where I decided I need to make a change. Mm. I was already interested in pursuing some of these ideas. I was in uh, a, a, a point where it was easy in my life where I had the the, the, the possibility of taking a risk uh, and it was and it was very much like you know I, I'm either going to do this now or I'm not and and I and I want to do this because I feel like I can actually have an impact so so let's try it yeah and and it and it and it led to where I am now absolutely and and I don't know Deep Science Ventures intimately, but my understanding is it's not just a venture fund, here's some money, go grow your company. There's there's no, more to no, it than that. So tell us a bit about that. I, I mean, it's it's part of the reason why why this is, why, why I, I took the challenge and I enjoyed doing this was also because I really believe in the sort of the the philosophy of of how deep science ventures tries to mm. to address uh, significant tech issues and and they work in a, in a few different areas in deep tech and pharma is one of them but they also work in sort of like um climate agri-tech yeah. uh, etc and instead of sort of taking an an interesting uh discovery or, or you know, a, a great um, you know new uh, drug that someone's discovered. Uh, start the other way around. Mm. What is the problem that we really need to fix right now? Why has nobody been able to fix it? And what can we do differently? And that's what that's what I was really excited about to have the possibility of doing this in biotech, to do this in a farmer space. Why? Like, what what actually is the problem with the tumor microenvironment that that prevents immunotherapy success? And mm -hmm. obviously, there's a lot of different ways that you can do there. I'm sure, not yeah. by any in in any way saying that we're completely completely solving all of them but mm -hmm. but here's one that that needs addressing and that hasn't really properly been addressed yet why hasn't it and what can we do about it and and deep science ventures kind of like trade gives you the training that you mm -hmm. need to build a venture and and ensures that you're you're doing something that 
you know, that you're using first principles to actually address this problem in a, in a, in a, in a completely innovative way, and then provides you with the support to get, to get your venture started. And, and that was, was a really great opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And, and that, um, training and the sort of guidance and insight into how to start a venture, because of course you came with a lot of scientific knowledge and a lot of knowledge about cancer specifically. And, and um, but the other things that go into starting a business are often mm. very complex as well. So what, what do you feel you particularly took from that experience in terms of the things that you needed to learn or the things that were most important to you in developing into being a CEO of a company and starting that? Oh. God, where to start? I feel like it's, I feel like it's, it's been sort of like the steepest learning curve of my life. The amounts that I that I learned in the first sort of year or so, uh, you know, things that I had really no experience with. Mm. But the main thing I think, and and you do get that support, and you do more importantly have a community of likes and of uh, like-minded scientists who are sure, all. Yeah using the same approach to try and solve difficult uh, deep tech problems and we can you can sort of uh, you know go go to them for for support and advice which was really important but the main thing is the fact that uh, deep science ventures gives you the space to build this mm. it's not that you're it's not that you're in the middle of a postdoc and you know at the end of the day at like 7 or 8 p.m. when you're leaving the lab you kind of go to your room and try to like put a startup together in a couple right, of hours yeah. before you go to bed. No, you are given the possibility of doing this full time for a few months and actually build a fully realized company and you have time to learn. And that I think made a huge difference because when we actually incorporated the company, I, I'd had time to actually mature these ideas, to actually yes. have a proper business plan together, to to know what we wanted to do. And that doesn't mean that you know we knew everything by then. Of course, no, no, of course. we've changed our plan multiple yeah. times since then, <laughs> uh, and we've had to adapt to multiple difficult situations that we found. But but we at least had you know, the background for it. And, yeah. and we continue having their support as well, which is great. Yeah. Uh, the idea of planning versus reality in startup is always an interesting one, right? And uh, mm. if people have listened to this podcast before, they may have heard me say this, but there's a couple of things, a couple of quotes that I've heard that I love about this. So the first is, I forget which one, it was one of the American generals. I can't remember if it was a World War II general or a Civil War general. It was someone anyway, and essentially said, Plans are useless, but planning is essential um, yeah. <laughs> because it helps you to think through the things that you need to think through. That's the one that I use if I'm giving a very formal presentation. The one yeah. that I really like is um, when Mike Tyson was world champion, uh, heavyweight champion of the world, there was a guy he was fighting who was telling all the media that would listen that he had a plan to deal with Tyson. And they put this to Mike Tyson and they said, look, he says he's got a plan to deal with you. And he responded by saying, yeah, everyone's got a plan till they get smacked in the mouth. Uh, <laughs> and I think yes, those two I, things I, kind of describe startup life, right? 100%. I, I feel that in my bones because <laughs> I, you know, you know, there are things, there are things that you can prepare for. There are, I mm. mean, you're not prepared for, you know, or I think four months into you finally starting your research program, suddenly being told that the lab space where you established the company is going to close down, right? Right. That's, yes. That was that was that was a, a bit of a 
of a fire that we that we suddenly uh, found ourselves having to put out and and you you find solutions mm. and that's so i've given a couple of of i've been you know um sort of uh, fortunate to be invited to give a couple of talks to to you know phd students postdocs etc about the experience of starting a company and that's always the main kind of take home that i that i tend to give it is you know as an academic if nothing else and as a phd student particularly what you learn is how to solve problems and True, what you're yeah. doing when you're putting together a company is basically you know getting problems thrown at your face and solving them every day and yeah. then you find a way to do it yeah i i do think as well that um scientists researchers are, are sort of they, they don't realize this always but they're very well positioned to get into an entrepreneurship into entrepreneurship because actually the nature of any sort of research is that most of what you do isn't going to work out the way you expect it right um, and that prepares yeah. you for that i guess yeah i think that's part of the the reason why uh, deep science ventures sort of uh, develops companies in the way they do mm. because if you take scientists that have the right mindset you can you can teach them the stuff that they need to learn to put a to put a startup together but they've got the scientific background and they've got the capability of of they've got the resilience and the capability of pushing a project through yes um so you just need to really give them the background that they need to know how to you know financially put a business together and and you've got a founder mm. no absolutely this is not a question that I prepared you for, so I apologize. <laughs> um, but I always ask it when someone's in a similar situation to you in that they're, you know, a year or two into running a company. Um, and you've maybe touched on it already, but what do you think has been the most surprising thing for you about running a business that, that perhaps you didn't realize was going to be the case going in? Huh. Um, I the most surprising thing i think from because there have been sort of punctual surprises right like the whole sort of losing the lab space thing yeah. that that you <laughs> need to learn how to deal with um but i think that the, to me the most surprising thing I, is has been has been the the community and how generous mm. everyone is with their time that was something that i was and i think probably partly because i i did part of my uh, academic uh, career in the states where things aren't necessarily like that you know competition right. <laughs> right is is very much is very much valued yeah um it it's been really surprising to me just how much people in in the founder community in in biotech at least are are generous with with their time how much people are actually willing to help each other out and mm. willing to sort of push each other to succeed it's it's been like the, the amount of of support that i've found at times where i needed that support has been really really great and and that's i think been been the main the main surprise everything else you kind of you kind of find your way around but that's yeah. the thing that that you know didn't depend on me and that i think was a big um a big uh uh you know aspect in, in helping us succeed yeah I, I think it's a big feature of the industry and it's something i've noticed with this podcast actually is that um you know everybody that we interview is is very busy it's by the nature of the jobs that they do but there's so many of them are willing to give up their time to just try and provide a bit of insight a bit of advice a bit of guidance if it can help mm -hmm. someone then they're, they're really happy with that and it's 
it's been amazing to see how generous the response has been actually so that's, that's uh, yeah. something we've seen too yeah i mean i i, I don't necessarily want to drop any names because i don't know how, how comfortable they'd be with it but you know i've had you know fairly fairly successful ceos of of you know advanced startups just mm. like being very generous with their time and just like helping me okay this is how i put this is how i fix this problem earlier on this is how i put my company together this is how i sort of manage my finances and that's been such a uh an asset that's been such a you know a, a big part of of me sort of learning how to do this and putting a company together and it's and it's been really great to, to experience yeah no absolutely and, and so this kind of leads on to my my next question, Pedro. If you were if you were starting this whole thing again, mm. um, or perhaps if you were talking to someone who's about to go on this journey of of launching a new venture and and starting a business, what do you think you wish you'd known then that you know now? Or what do you think the most important piece of advice you'd give is? What, what would you tell yourself or that person? Hmm. Uh don't start fundraising too early mm -hmm. um like make sure that you actually understand what your message is and that you you build sort of a, a solid project before you you go out there and start trying to raise money for it i think that was the main thing that if i could go back to the beginning yeah i would change i think i i tried to like jump into the whole uh, fundraising hustle a, a little bit too early and I wasn't quite prepared for it then. Mm -hmm. like I didn't have I didn't have a good deck I didn't have a good you know business proposition and those were things that I sort of learned with time how to how to not only build the project and make sure that we've got a solid uh, plan and we've got a solid sort of strategy for the coming years uh, but also that we we know how to tell that story um, and I would have taken a little bit more time to make sure that I was prepared to do it instead yeah. of kind of jumping right into it um, the other thing that I would say um, that I don't that is not necessarily something that I would change but that is something that I I think is important for 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 people who are starting their own companies to know is is just don't don't be afraid to talk to people. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what I was talking about and how supportive the community is. Like no one's like, number one, it's not difficult for you to be able to talk about what you're doing and be excited about what you're building yes. without giving too much away. Yes. And no one's going to like grab your idea and start their own company from scratch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So once when you've been doing this for for a year or two or however long it is. And it's and it's so important to build this network. Like it, the, the, it's so important to help, you know, the from you know groups that we're working with to support our IP to how we found, you know, some people that we've that we've hired, how I found my my uh, my founder how we found some investors how mm. you know we got a grant through a collaboration with an academic group all of these relationships were i think really really uh, essential to push the business forward yeah. and i think a lot of a lot of researchers have a tendency of sort of hiding themselves in their academic silo because they're too worried about talking saying too much about what it is that they're doing don't get out there into the community i think that's really important yeah, I think uh, the the chances of someone perhaps <laughs> adopting your idea for a paper are more mechanically straightforward than taking your idea for a company and executing it. Right? Yeah. 
and you know what it's yeah you know, we've 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 sort of i mean it's obviously a little bit different because we've been talking a bit about <laughs> about mm. the past as well but you know we've we've been talking about what i'm i'm doing and i've you know basically mentioned that we're engineering bacteria to remodel the tumor microenvironment and you can and i and i can just be excited about mm-hmm. this because i am excited about this and telling people why i think that's important and why i think this is the way to, to solve that problem without telling you the details of how we're doing it and what bacteria we're using and how we're, you know, um, you can, you can uh, get the word out there enough yeah. that you can get the support that you need and that you can claim your space in the field um, without giving too much away. And I yeah. think that's a really important thing to do when you're, when you're sort of putting a business together. No, and as you say, you know, if you, if you're going to go out there and raise money, um, you've got to be able to tell that story, right? You know, people are not going to, yeah. it's not even that they're not going to invest in you. They're not even going to take your meeting if they don't understand what you're doing. Um, yeah. and it's interesting, the point you make about not raising too early because there's clear pressure to raise money, right? You know, you've got to have money to survive and, and there is logic yeah. in the idea that the sooner you can do that, the better, but you know, there's nowhere that you're going to get as challenged and scrutinized as in a fundraising round, right? So, and, and you know, uh, first impressions count as much yeah, as you'd yeah. like to think that they did, yeah. but they don't, right? And and you want to make sure, and you only have one opportunity to make a good first impression, and you want to make sure that when you're putting yourself out there, um, that you're prepared to put yourself out mm. there. Yeah, of course. So, um, going back to Neob, um, tell us a little bit about what's next. So we've um, kind of re- recently uh, moved to the to the Stevenage Bioscience Catalyst. Mm-hmm. Uh, before then, we were at the Abraham Research Campus in in Cambridge, where we were uh, really fortunate to participate in their Accelerate program, which really really helped us move the business forward. Yes. But we've now made the decision to move to Stevenage, and we've just expanded the team. So uh, there's five of us on the team right now, and. Um, the the main objectives for the coming sort of few months is to take our initial bacterial prototype that we've uh, sort of developed as uh, part of our of our platform and and get some proof of concept efficacy data from it so yeah. we're we're working with an academic group at the Barts Cancer Institute in London using their patient derived models to 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 demonstrate the efficacy of our of our bacteria, and we're also going to start doing some work in 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 vivo models in in tumor bearing mice, and <clears throat> those are going to be sort of essential bits of data to yes. help us, you know, raise uh, a round that we're starting to raise now uh, that we hope to close by uh, a seed round that we hope to close by the first quarter of next year. Um, and, th- and then it's going to be sort of full speed ahead, expanding mm. the team, moving into a lot of in vivo efficacy studies and, and you know, uh, getting to the big milestone, which is the demonstration that we can, incre- that we can increase checkpoint inhibitor by using this, this strategy in, in yes. mouse models. Well, it's an exciting time and it's, it's a huge problem that you're trying to solve and we wish you the best of luck with it, Pedro. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, it's it's been quite the journey until now and and i'm excited to see what what lies ahead thanks for joining us on careers in discovery and don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and r d do take a look at our sponsors singular talent 
and their mission to make herring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.